You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We're in this long series through the Gospel of John, but really breaking it up into these smaller mini-series. And uh, today we continue that. We actually start a new mini-series called Knowing Jesus, and that's going to bring us to John chapter 6. And I'll be starting to read here in God's Word in verse 35. John chapter 6, verse 35. Let's bring our attention to God's word. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is God's word. Imagine uh, if we, you know, made this an icebreaker game, uh, getting to know each other, where we started with the phrase, I am. And then you had like five different options. You, You had to give five finishes to that sentence. I feel like that's a really good game. I am, and then you just finish that sentence. I want you to think about some of the things that you might say in order for other people to get to know you. I am. You might think about maybe your job, your profession, your, your family. You might think about your personality or your hobbies, things you like to do. But whatever you're saying, you're, you're revealing to them who you are, what you like to do, what you're all about. We're going to look at this series now, eight weeks of Jesus, starting with these two important words, I am. And today we look at, he says, I am the bread of life. You know, there's this kind of Google search. If you, you know, when you go in the Google page and the Google page, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) sounded super old. Um, And you type in something, I want to show you this clip. If you just say Jesus is, you know, you start to see, do we have that? There it is. You know, Jesus is, you know, the reason for the season, right? Jesus is king. And my favorite, Jesus is just all right with me. 
Anybody remember that? Doobie Brothers, yeah, okay. And so some of these, okay, these are things that, you know, kind of what people say about Jesus. And so this is just an algorithm with Google and common searches and common things people search for and how they complete that phrase, Jesus is. Well, we get an opportunity to hear from Jesus himself who he is. It's not that these are wrong. These are just what other people say about him. And Jesus is saying now, this is who I am. Who is Jesus? This is a really important passage, as all of them are that we go through, but I want you to slow down. I want, hopefully, you can just hear him speaking to you. He's offering you, giving you an invitation to rest in him, to see him for who he really is, to take your cares, to take your struggles. I mean, here we are, a new year, kind of coming off of like the, you know, the hangover of the holidays, of just the busyness of that, feeling the stress hangover, and... And now we're coming to God with our cares. And, and we maybe have questions of, does he, does he care for us? Is he listening? And can he meet my needs? One thing we learn about, as Jesus says, I am the bread of life, is that Jesus is the one who satisfies. Obviously, Jesus here is talking in metaphors. He is, he's not talking literally that he is the bread, that, he, uh, that, he, that we must eat his flesh in a literal sense. He, our series begins with Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He, he's obviously talking uh, in, in metaphorical language here. Here's the background. Jesus has now come to the place in his ministry where he's drawing thousands and even tens of thousands of people. And they're, they're coming to him, not because of his uh, theology. They're not coming to him because they were ready to give their life to him. They're coming to him because they have heard that he is healing the sick, that he is feeding the poor, and he's giving away free food, and, 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 and people are flocking to him. And here he has thousands of people before him. The context of this, he has just multiplied two fish, five loaves of bread to feed thousands of people with a lot of food left over. And the next day, these crowds come back with more, looking for more food. And he tells them, you know, there's a bread that you can actually eat that will make you never hunger again. And they say, we'd like to have this bread. <laughs> of course, give us this bread. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am that bread. And here's what that means, that Jesus is the one that satisfies, but, but satisfies us how? Because I know that you, you, may, you may be a Christian, and many of you are, I know, and, and you trust that Jesus is the one that satisfies, and then much of your life is still unsatisfying. And so what does it mean that he satisfies? He's talking about cravings. He's talking about our cravings, our appetites, we know no matter how much we eat physically, those cravings come back. Even after, you know, gorging yourself on Thanksgiving day and even becoming immobile for a couple hours, right? You get hungry again and even promising to yourself, I will never eat again. You eat again. Those cravings come back. No matter how full you are after a meal, no matter how much you've eaten, finish the sentence, there's always room for, no, thank you, <laughs> who says dessert, gosh, I was, some people say cheese, I thought that was a really common phrase, okay, never mind, Google it, you know, there's always room for jello, there's always, there's always room for a little bit more, there's always room for dessert, 
There's always room for that. So no matter how full you are, you're always wanting more. We know what it's like to have this tireless physical appetite of always having to go back to eat. And Jesus has come to satisfy the tireless spiritual appetites, the relational appetites, the emotional appetites that we have. We have a craving to be loved and we cannot, there is a, it cannot be satisfied fully outside of the love of Christ. Why do we and some, you know, remain in manipulative, abusive relationships? Because we have a God-given craving to be loved and we long to be satisfied in that need for love, even if it means to be in an unhealthy relationship. Why do we have a, a craving to be approved as worthy by others? So much so that we, we become workaholics, we bury ourselves in our projects at home because we have this God-given craving to be approved by others by who we are. And so we look for success in other places just to find approval with others. We have a craving for acceptance, to belong. Why do we sometimes give in to, to peer pressure or to um, weaken our convictions and let our convictions slide and do things that we know we shouldn't do? Because we have this God-given craving for acceptance, even if it means that we compromise what we know is right so that others will include us. Jesus is putting his finger on these deep cravings that we have. The reality that you and I hunger for certain things that are so strong, that appetites are so strong in our lives that only he can satisfy. A longing, a craving to be loved, to be accepted, to be approved as worthy. Thousands of years before Jesus spoke these words and came um, on the earth and walked on the earth. The prophet Isaiah, whom he quotes here, says this in Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to hear, hear that your soul may live. Jesus quotes Isaiah here and then applies this to himself and says, I am that bread that satisfies that Isaiah was talking about. He directs us to this prophecy and he comes along and says, I'm the one. So come and feast, feast deeply on what I have come to offer. Why would you be content paying for food that you just have to buy again? Why would you drink from a well that you have to keep going to to draw water from over and over and over again? Why settle for a love that's not real love? Why work for approval of others that don't ultimately matter? Why do any of these things? You have you've fed on what the world has to offer. You have felt continually unsatisfied by what the world has to offer. Now feed on Jesus. Jesus comes along and says, now feed on me and you will be satisfied. We do this. I mean, it's built into our nature to just 
to keep going and returning back to things, getting momentary satisfaction, and then needing, having that craving again, and having to keep going back over and over and over again. You know, in the, in the 1800s and late 1800s even, there was, you know, when men needed a shave, they had to go to a barber shop, right? They, when they needed a shave, they went to a barber shop and they would, or they would shave at home with a straight edge razor, okay? And the barbers used this straight edge blade that lasted forever. It was just needed to be sharpened, but only, you know, it had to be professionally sharpened, oh, but over and over and over again and rarely needed to be replaced. And so there wasn't much profit to be made in the razor blade business, because these things just lasted forever. And there was a man named King C. Gillette. And he said, I want to make money off of this. How can I invent something that people use once, throw away, and buy it again? Over and over and over and over again. And he invented the first disposable razor blade. Do you know how much those things are? They're like $50 for like a pack of six this is ridiculous. And, and, then, and then you go, you use it and throw it away and buy it again. <laughs> this is what happens. This is how the world works. Always craving, never satisfied. Always craving, never satisfied. But it's not so with Jesus. There's a way we don't have to come to him, be satisfied, and then leave unsatisfied and find something else. It's not Jesus plus anything. And he's offering satisfaction that lasts. You would think a, a message like this, that he's coming to the world, he's coming to the crowds. He said, I have something that will satisfy you forever. And you don't have to keep returning to that well. You don't have to keep returning to all of those, 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 those promises that keep letting you down. You would think that they would just be overwhelmed with joy and said, this is what we want. But no, the opposite happens. They start complaining they start grumbling. Jesus satisfies, but let's look at this. Takes us to the next, the next point about Jesus's metaphor here is that Jesus is the one who can change our cravings. He's actually the only one that can change our cravings. And this fact that people are grumbling as he is offering them the best gift in the world shows us something deeply flawed about our hearts, our natures that have always been. Jesus offers himself and the, and the answer to our deepest cravings something that would really last, and they start complaining with him. Their, their complaining reflects a problem that we often struggle with too. We often don't want what is best. We want what's available to us right now. We don't want the best thing or the good thing. We just want the thing that gets us by. And they rebuke Jesus and say, you know, Moses gave us bread in the desert. How can you give us something better than what Moses gave us? But what they didn't mention is how God gave them bread in the desert and they complained about it then too. Maybe you know the story. When God's people were hungry, they were, they were rescued from slavery out of Egypt and they went uh, into the wilderness to pursue the promised land that God had prepared for them. And they cried out to God and they said, we're hungry. And he sent bread from heaven. And they ate it and they were satisfied. And they said, and then as they were eating it, they actually said out loud, we're thirsty too. And he said, okay. And so, he, so Moses took his shaft and he, and he hit a rock and a river of water flowed out from the rock and they drank it and were satisfied. And they're eating this bread and drinking this water and these miraculous things have happened. And you know what they say? Some meat would be good too. 
And so he caused quail to fall from the sky and they're eating meat and they're eating bread and they're drinking fresh water. And they say, the meat was better in Egypt. Like, I'm not making this up. They continually complain. They continually complain. Why are they so ungrateful? Because, and here's the thing I want you to hear. It's, they don't need food. They need a new heart. They don't need just drink. They, they need a new craving. And there's nothing inside of themselves that can actually create that. They need to be satisfied by God and they can't do that in themselves. So much so that God gives them all these miraculous blessings and they still cannot enjoy him. There's something wrong with their hearts. There's something wrong with our hearts. And this is the one thing that you and I cannot do ourselves. We cannot change our cravings. We cannot want God on our own. Recently, I was having breakfast with uh, my in-laws. I'm going to take a chance that they're not watching right now. (laughs) And uh, I made some egg whites for breakfast, as I often do. And my father-in-law, genuinely inquisitive, genuinely inquisitive, uh, comes up and and respectfully asks, "So, so why egg whites? What's the deal with, with egg whites? And I said, well, you know, I'm trying to, you know, increase my protein, decrease my fat and cholesterol content. All that stuff is in the yolk. And so I'm just trying to get a lot of protein and, and, and things like that. And he says, does it taste good? And I said, well, no. <laughs> and, and he genuinely, inquisitively, respectfully asked, well, then why are you eating it? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, because when, when considering food, taste is not the only factor. And then I, gosh, and then I went and ate a donut. I it was just so depressed. <laughs> I was just like, I was just so depressed at that point, And he made <laughs> such a good point. Listen, you know, we know this, right? I mean, we, we all know this, like, we know the good things for us. And, and we know that they're hard to do. We know that um, we have to change our cravings for healthy foods because we crave, you know, salty, fatty, crunchy foods. God hasn't made those things naturally yet. I don't know why that are good for us. And we know the benefits and we know that it's hard to do, but we, we pursue it anyway. And it's hard in that way. Now, now, now I want to shift to what Jesus offers. He doesn't offer something that's bland and difficult to swallow. He doesn't offer something that we just have to get through and just say, well, I'm good for you. You just have to trust me. He actually offers the best for us and we still don't want it. I get, it makes completely sense. My father-in-law is, is just, he's all of us, right? It's completely right. It's, it's completely reasonable to say, why are you doing that? It doesn't taste good. We can't say that about Jesus. We can't say, why are you trusting in him? It's, he's not, there's better things. He comes and presents himself as there's nothing better. There's nothing that more satisfies. There's nothing more, more uh, succulent and decadent and good and nourishing than what he offers. And we still don't want it. There's something wrong with our hearts. There's something wrong with what we crave when we don't crave Jesus because there's nothing better. There's something monumentally defected with our cravings. And this is what happens. 
as a response to these problems in our hearts. And this is what Jesus tells us in our passage, that there is a cooperative relationship between God the Father and God the Son to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. Jesus tells us in this passage, there's a cooperative relationship between him and the Father to change in our hearts what we cannot do ourselves. And he tells the crowds, unless this happens, you will never change. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Jesus is so keenly focused on this cooperative alliance, this cooperative relationship, this relationship based in love with each other for us to change our cravings. And he's telling them how it works. So there's something wrong with your hearts. And unless God gives you a new heart, unless he changes your craving, you will never want me. You will never enjoy me. You will never have part in me. He tells the crowds, you cannot crave the good in me. You cannot draw near me. You can't even enjoy the benefits that I offer unless the Father draws you. John reiterates this so often throughout his gospel. Now remember, we've talked about this before. John's purpose in writing this is is to persuade his listeners, persuading us to believe in Jesus. And over and over and over again, he says things like this. In John 6, we saw it. All the Father gives me will come to me. John 6, later, he refers to Judas as the one who doesn't believe in me. And he says, one of you doesn't believe in me because the reason he doesn't believe is that the Father hasn't drawn him. In John 8, we're told that anyone who hears and listens and obeys God's word is born of God and evidence of God's hand in that person's life. And those who don't listen to God is because they have not been drawn by God. This is the point in all of this that he is wanting us to know about Jesus. The desire that you have to know Jesus and to find satisfaction in him, it's not mustered up in your own intellect or desire, but because of the collaborative work of God the Father with God the Son through the work of God the Holy Spirit. We see this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this collaborative relationship to draw you in. Isn't that beautiful? Do you see that if you desire God at all, it is because God has done a decisive work in your heart to draw you to himself. If you feel unsatisfied with what the world has to offer and you see Christ as something, someone who is good and can give you all that you need and you draw towards him eagerly, wanting to know him more, trust him more, believe in him more, you are a walking miracle. He has decisively drawn you in and given you a new heart. I want you to appreciate that. I want you to be thankful for that. I want you to be grateful that that he is with you now, that he's drawing you in, that he has not forgotten you and he is faithful to you. That he will sustain you till the end and whatever is, is unsatisfying in your life where you're feeling, okay, you say that you're the bread of life that satisfies, but I'm still struggling, I'm still wrestling. Jesus tells us, I will never let you down and, and one day I will raise you up. This is what he says. 
He will sustain us to the end. He will raise us up. This is our final point. Jesus is the one who raises us up. He is the one who raises us up. He tells us this twice in this passage, twice. You know, we may not be uh, much different than the ones grumbling in this passage or God's people in Egypt, just complaining all the time. If you're a Christian, I want you to consider what makes you grumble, what makes you complain to God. Maybe it's not about uh, who he says he is. Maybe you're not grumbling about who he has revealed himself to be, but maybe you're grumbling in his timing. Maybe you're grumbling in his lack of provision. Maybe you're grumbling in, in uh, the things that have happened in your life and you wonder, how could he do this to you? Maybe you don't have the life that you desire. Things aren't going the way you want. You don't have the job you think you deserve or the spouse who appreciates you the way you want to be appreciated. And, and you're grumbling, you're complaining. This shows, just like it shows us from the God's people in our passage, a distortion of what we believe about Jesus. You believe that he is, he is bread of life for your salvation, but you need more than him today for you to feel satisfied and content. Yes, he saved you and you're going to heaven one day, but right now you just need more. He's good for eternal life, but he's not good for today's life. And that shows a distortion of what we believe about Jesus. Maybe if you're, if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here and hearing this with us today. You're complaining maybe for different reasons and maybe it looks different for you. You look at the world and you look at what God says and you say, well, how could God be really the one that satisfies when there's so much in this world that is so broken and so messed up? Maybe there's anger, maybe there's disbelief, maybe there's just such deep doubt for who he says that he is. None of these complaints are new. Your complaints, your grumbling, it's all been done. What we need is less satisfaction in the things that the world offers and more satisfaction in God who's always faithful. Here's how Jesus answers their grumbling in our passage. He says, why are you grumbling? Jesus answered, he says, do not grumble among yourselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is so much more than just simply getting through the day in temporal satisfaction. He is about raising us up. He is about the permanent. He is about the perspective and he wants us to place our hearts on his eternal promises. That while there may be suffering right now in this world, he promises, I will raise you up. I will raise you up. I, he says, I do the will of God and the will of God is to not lose any one of you that he draws to me. And he says, I will do it. I will succeed. Isn't that amazing? The will of God, the purpose of God from all eternity, the heart of God is to sustain you till the end, to raise you up and to not fail you and to complete in you everything he has promised to complete in you. That's his will for you. Your will, his will for you is to do everything he said he would do and to not miss a single part of it. And Jesus says, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make sure it happens. 
Listen, if you have put your trust in Jesus and you fail to achieve the will of God in your life, it would be to Jesus's everlasting shame. If you have come to Christ and put your faith and hope in him and things don't work out for you the way that God says, it means one of two things. Either Jesus was disobedient to God the Father or he was incapable of doing what he said he could do. Both of those are unthinkable. I want you not just to be satisfied in this passage. I want you to see the assurance that God gives to us when he says that he, when Jesus says that he's the bread of life that satisfies, that we can hope and trust in him because he is placing his own name on the line and says, if God's will is not accomplished for you in your life, then everything that has ever been said about me is a lie. It would be to his everlasting shame. It leads us, this leaves us with one assurance today. We can trust him. It means that we could give him reign, full reign of our whole life, all of our emotions, all of our pain, all of our unsatisfied longings. And we can trust that he will satisfy them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When was mourning a blessing? It is when it draws us to be satisfied in Jesus. And he says, you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. You and I are only as secure as our greatest treasure. And when our greatest treasure and greatest hope in life is Christ, we have nothing to fear. He will raise us up. He will sustain us. He will satisfy. Draw near to him. He loves you. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.